Hey, you are listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Seven Mile Road. We are a gospel-centered church just north of Boston, Mass. To learn more about who we are and what we are going for together, just go to sevenmilemelrose.com. Good morning. If you haven't met, my name is Michael. I work on staff here. So don't, don't run away. Don't freak out. We're going to talk about money today. Specifically, we're going to ask the question of, what do the choices that I'm making with my money, what do they say I think I am? Like, who, who am I saying I think I am? Am I acting like these are mine? I'm an owner. These are my resources for my good, my benefit. Or are we acting like a manager? That the money, the resources, the positions we have have been entrusted to us by Jesus to use for his mission and his benefit. So keep that in mind as we go. This is a bit of a strange parable Jesus tells, but I just wanted to give you the big idea before we jump in. I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. Father, would you be gracious to us? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to respond in faith to your word this morning? Amen. All right, in my early 20s, I was the manager of a maintenance team for Precision Landscape Management in Greenville, South Carolina. So in that role, I was responsible to get the daily list of clients, make sure the team was ready, get all the equipment in this big box truck, and then go around town, make sure that we had a GPS, that was very important, make sure we get to the actual houses, and take care of all the properties. So if a problem came up, we had to handle that. If a repair was needed, if I could do it, then we would handle it. Anything else got bumped up to the owner. That was Nate. Nate owned all the trucks. He owned all the equipment. Nate owned all the contracts with the clients. He owned the shirts that he gave us to wear to represent precision landscape management. I, as the manager, had some leeway to make some decisions, like if we needed to divert to one house instead of the other because it would have been faster right before lunch, we could totally do that as long as we get to the other one. I couldn't go hey, we just finished 10 houses, you guys worked hard, we have 20 today, but you can have the rest of the day off. I didn't have leeway to do that. Nate, as the owner, had leeway to do that. Sometimes he would have us come in early, and then he'd join us, and we'd work really hard, and then he would do something nice for us in the afternoon. So I remember one time in particular, he was like, come in, I think it was like 6.30, and he joined us, we worked really hard, we finished at like 12.30 or 1, and then he brought us back to his house, he made us steaks, we had some drinks, and then we watched a World Cup soccer game. It was awesome. As the owner, it's his, it's his right to do that with his company and manage it the way that he wants. As the manager, I was responsible to manage it according to the way that Nate wanted the company run. I think we all kind of get the dynamic of being a manager and having someone that you're responsible to. So raise your hand if you had a job and you had a manager or someone that you were responsible to. So everybody with a job ever, great. And raise your hand if you're currently managing like a team or a project. Yeah, so some of us are in management roles and we understand what it's like to oversee the day-to-day operations of the business or manage the shift at the hospital or work with the team on the deadline or the deliverable that's coming up. Some of our greatest vocational wins and failures have come in management roles. Some of us have had our careers capped or maybe gotten fired because we haven't managed well. Some of us have gotten promoted and given more responsibility because we have managed well and the people we're responsible to 
enjoyed our performance and that of our team. So in this passage today, we're going to see Jesus tell a story about a manager that's going to get fired. And it's an invitation for us to view the way in which we're handling our money. So let's jump into the passage as we see this big idea. With my money and my possessions, am I acting like an owner or am I acting like a manager? All right, can we put the first, the next one up there? Thanks. So there was a rich man. He had a manager. Charges were brought to him that he was wasting his possessions. And he says, what's this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management if you can no longer be manager. All right, so this manager, he was over all of the business affairs of this rich man. Um, in this time period, one way in which you would move from being in the lower class into somewhere in the middle is you, you could sell yourself into a position like this to be a manager, to be the person responsible to handle the day-to-day -day operations of someone who was wealthy. And so that's most likely what this guy did because upward mobility in an in agrarian society is actually really hard to come by. So you want to show the next slide. You don't have to be able to read all of this, but this guy is in this uh, position called retainers and priests. It's going up. But you see the big one in the middle is peasants. So from north to south is like power in an agrarian society. And you notice as it goes up, there's less of it. And then east to west is the, the demographics, like the population density. So the biggest one there in agrarian society are peasants, people doing manual labor. This guy was in the retainers and priests category. So a, a retainer is somebody who works with a particular family. If you like the godfather, you might think about the consigliere, the right-hand man, the guy who comes in and takes the business deals, handles the day-to-day -day operations. That's this guy's position. And his hope would be that he would stay there. He would give his family the social status and economic security for a long period of time in that position. Uh, but what we see is that his hope for that is gone. His career has been capped for sure, and he's likely going to fall. As you see, he says, I'm not strong enough to dig. So that would mean he's going to fall into the peasant category, doing manual labor. And then he says, I'm too ashamed to beg, which means because he has no economic security, he would likely fall all the way down to the bottom, not being able to do manual labor, into the expendables with the blind and other beggars. So that's not great. And he's been caught misappropriating his master's wealth. So it's the same verb here that's used in chapter 15, which is the story of the father with the two sons. And the younger son goes, takes his father's inheritance, goes into a far country, and then wastes it, living with like reckless living or lavish living. So this guy has been living at the expense of his owner as if this stuff was his. He's been squandering it. He's been wasting it. He's essentially been embezzling his master's money, and he's been legally put in charge, but he's not been using it to profit the owner. He's been using it to advance his own lifestyle, to consume for himself. All right, so if you need an example of what embezzling is, I just Googled it, and man, there are some wild stories out there. This one was somewhere in the middle. Crazy, but uh, not the most crazy. All right, in 2012... Melissa King was sentenced to six years in federal prison for embezzling over $42 million. She was the employee benefits manager. So that blows my mind. That she wasn't like a CEO or in the executive suite. She was an employee benefits manager for the Sandhogs Local Union 147. These are the tunnel workers for New York City. She was supposed to maintain their bank accounts, receive their contributions, 
validate and then pay back benefits upon retirement. And instead, she took the money and used it to fund her own lifestyle. So here's some of the things that she spent money on. $99,000 on private jets. Over a million dollars on jewelry. She had $7 million on an American Express account. I didn't even know that was possible. A Park, House Avenue, Park Avenue penthouse. She gave her parents $400,000 a year. She spent $3 million on jumping horses. Not just horses, jumping horses. One of which was named Treasure Hunter. She had maids, housekeepers, Porsche, Mercedes, Land Rovers, a summer house in Maine. All of these were obviously confiscated and then sold back to the people that she stole it from. Not sold back to them, but sold to cover their losses. And like any embezzlement case, those people didn't get all of the money back because she already spent it. So think about that when you think about this guy wasting his manager's possessions and being caught. He's lived his life lavishly at the owner's expense. And the owner find out, and he's going he's to fire him because he's been unfaithful and self-serving in this role. And he's going to fall into a manual labor job. He's going to lose his social status, his economic security. So he needs a plan because he doesn't want to fall all the way down to the bottom. So what's he do? Let's go to the next one. He, he comes up with a plan. He has people come into him. He says, so summoning his master's debtor, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? 100 measures of oil. Take your bill and write 50. The next one comes in, 100 measures of wheat, he says. Take your bill, write 80. So this guy is very concerned, in the text we see, he's very concerned about being received into people's homes when he loses this management position. How is he going to cushion his fall in this transition from one position, one age of his life, into the next one? So these debtors that owed his master money so they might have been like landowners themselves, but more likely the way that somebody became rich in Roman times is that they would have a lot of different farms that they wouldn't farm themselves. They would rent them out to somebody else. And then that person would owe them just like straight up rent money or a percentage of the produce. It seems like these people are coming in with the percentage of the produce that they owe this rich man. A hundred measures of oil doesn't sound like very much because we don't know what measure means. That's roughly like 875 gallons of oil. So for our accountants, one tree, one olive tree produces one gallon. How many trees would that be? 875. That's good math, Dan. So that's a lot of oil that he owes to this guy. And what he's done, the manager, is he said, you owe half now. He's given him back a lot of economic opportunity to take all of that oil and sell it, and then give himself more financial footholding. He's made, he's made a good friend. So then he does something similar with the guy that owes wheat. So that's roughly 20 acres, 20 to 25 acres worth of wheat, and he's given him back 20% of it. And then presumably we're, there's like a line of people he's doing this to. So what, what is this manager doing? He's clearly not trying to exonerate himself for the owner. He's like, that, that bridge is burnt. And the owner actually is not going to say anything because he's going to get a lot of public praise for being such a kind and responsible, wealthy, rich person because people are going to praise him for, being, for relaxing the debt. So he's not trying to exonerate himself. He's trying to ingratiate himself to these people. 
he's making a calculated risk because he understands the interconnection of the social dynamics in the business world. He's taking advantage of the remaining time he has in this position to secure himself. He knows his time in one season of his life is over, but he currently has access to all the money and the possessions. And so he's gonna use those to make friends because the only thing that's gonna make the transition for him from this position that he has manager when he loses it, the only thing he can take with him are these friends that he's making currently. So the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. So I find this interesting that the master commended him for his shrewdness, but Jesus calls him dishonest. So he, the master commends him because he's taken advantage of the business networks that he has in order to save his own neck. He knows how to navigate the social realities so that he can make friends for his own benefit. And Jesus says the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So Jesus is making this interesting contrast and observation that those who belong to the present age of the world, he's saying they're much better at navigating their money and possessions for their benefit than his disciples are at using their money and the possessions in light of the kingdom benefit. So there's two kingdoms that are at play here. There's one that's passing away, and then there's Christ, which will last forever. Currently, we live in that in-between where Christ has been resurrected and his kingdom is expanding through the world. And yet we also live in a world that's full of envy and greed and coveting and hoarding and conspicuous consumption. We don't see the new heavens and the new earth where Christ is king over all things and he's sitting on his throne established by justice and righteousness. We don't see that yet. You go to the next slide. Jesus says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So Jesus hasn't yet made all things new, but he's telling us to pay attention while we're living here. We live, like this dishonest manager, in an age that is passing away. And there's going to be a new reality that is gonna be established forever. And things like our phones and our bank accounts and our homes, those aren't things that are gonna make the cut in the transition to the next new heavens and new earth. But the thing that is going to is gonna be the relationships we've established with gospel purposes that just like this guy has moved from one season to another and he's spent his money and possessions to make sure that he makes friends Jesus is telling us also that we use our money and possessions to make friends for gospel purposes. These are the only things that are gonna transition from this age into the next. So we can get so fixated on our own uh, comfort, pursuing our own wealth, building it, that we can neglect to learn how to use our homes, to use our possession, to use our money, to use our food your phones, to gain friends that will actually join us in the new age. So in one way of looking at it, Jesus is telling us we can be faithful managers or we can be like this manager. We can essentially embezzle from our creator to spend it on our own lifestyle and our own consumption and 
take from God the things that he has given to us and not honor him with them. So we, back to our big idea. So with our money and possessions, are we acting like an owner or like a manager? What would people say about the way that we handle our money, our possessions? Are we faithful with them or are we acting like an embezzling manager? So here's how Jesus sums up this parable. He says, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? If you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? All right, raise of hands if you are caught off guard by Jesus calling wealth unrighteous. If you're like, what does he mean by that? Does that mean like money coming from dirty jobs? Money coming from nefarious places? No. He's making a contrast between unrighteous wealth and the true riches. So the contrast here is between all of the money and the possessions and the things that we currently have that are not going to make it into the new reality of the new heavens and the new earth. The true riches are the things that Christ brings and that Christ will give. So one way of translating true riches could be the authentic or the real. And Jesus says, if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Which brings us back to that question. And we talk about it in our doxology every week. We say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's an acknowledgement that all that we have comes from God, and we are supposed to return it back to him with praise and honor. Jesus gets at this in another place in chapter 12. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Faithfulness with our money now is preparation for participating in the kingdom of God fully realized. Participation with our money and possessions now in the mission of God is actively preparing ourselves for that reality and participating in it. We need to know whether or not we're serving God and serving money. So Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters. He's either going to hate the one and love the other, or he's going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. This is servant language. We are going to serve one or the other. Which one are we going to serve? That bottom of all of this, Jesus is saying the real issue is one of worship. Do we love God or do we love money? Because we can't do both. So if somebody had access to your bank account statements and your calendar at the same time, would they be able to draw the conclusion that you loved God or that you loved money? Jesus is saying if we're not faithful with the things that we have now that are going to pass away, money, our homes, our food, our business and work skills, then why would we expect Jesus to entrust us with more eternal things that are going to last forever? So we have to actively choose who we're going to serve. We can't serve God in money. So serving God means that we view ourselves as a manager. That these are things that God has given to us, he's entrusted to us to advance his mission, to love others, to provide for others. Serving money means viewing myself as the owner. This is for me. This is mine. The dishonest manager was essentially embezzling from the owner 
because he forgot that he wasn't the owner of those resources to spend them on his own lifestyle however he wanted. So how is it Jesus wants us to use our money and our stuff? Well, from this parable, we see that he wants us to intentionally use that to make friends. Make friends that would advance the mission of God and the gospel. Our gospel communities don't work if we don't do this. If we don't open our homes, if we don't open our wallets and buy food that we share with one another. The way that we use our money is like a thermometer. And it reveals whether or not we are warm and alive towards God and his gospel, or whether we are cold and distant. All right, so here's some application questions, some diagnostic questions that you can take and talk with your spouse or also take into your gospel communities this week. When it comes to our money and possessions, am I acting like an owner or a manager? Do you spend all of your money on yourself, on your debt, on your current lifestyle, on your investing? Do you give generously to the mission of Jesus? I'm not going to put a benchmark percentage, but like, do you give to the point that you feel it, that you know that you and your family are involved and on the hook for how this is going to go? Do you use your money, your home, your calendar to make friends, specifically to show them, invite them in to experience the gospel realities? Are you giving God something to honor by the way that you're handling your money and your possessions? Are we acting like good managers or are we acting like an unfaithful, embezzling manager? All right, so that's kind of heavy questions because money goes right to the core of who we are and how we're living our life. So what do we do? What do we do if we realize that we've been unfaithful and that we've been selfish and that we've been self-serving and greedy? The only antidote to greed that Jesus gives us is to live a life that is marked by generosity. And that generosity is driven by the generosity of God to us in the gospel. So we're about to come to the table and we're going to celebrate and remember the death of Christ for us. We're going to celebrate and remember the resurrection of Christ and his promise to be with us. We're going to celebrate and remember that Christ is going to come again and bring the new heavens and the new earth. And that he generously gave his life and his body to make us part of his family. So the gospel fuel for us to be wise managers is the work of Jesus and his generosity on our behalf. He's more than God's faithful manager. He's God's faithful son. And he took on the penalty of our own unfaithfulness so that we could be clothed with his righteousness. We could receive the credit of his righteousness to cover our unfaithfulness. And more than that, he has adopted us, forgiven us of our sins, and then he equips us with his spirit so that we might become wise managers and join his mission, fully participating by being generous, opening our wallets and our homes and our possessions, because we know that we can't take those things with us, but we can take those relationships we have with other people into the new age. We don't need money's protection. We don't need money to justify us. Christ has promised to be with us. Christ has promised to provide for our needs. So if we believe that the resurrected Christ is with us, then we can live generously now. So imagine what we could do as a community if we all leaned in and believed the gospel and lived 
like this, if we lived generously by supporting the mission of the church, opening our homes to our neighbors and our friends in the church, friends outside of the church, opening our wallets to care for the poor and the orphans and the widows. Imagine what our community would feel like and be like for those who are outside. They would see the new age at work in our relationships right now. And we do that because we want other people to join us. We want them to know the Father's love and also eat at the Son's table with us for His glory. So let's go for that this week. Let's serve God, be faithful managers with our money and our possessions so that Jesus might be honored and He might be glorified among us and in our neighborhoods. Let's pray. Father, you are more gracious to us than we deserve. We can be so selfish and greedy with our money. We ask that you would forgive us. I ask you to help us to believe your gospel, to believe that you have been faithful and that by faith in Christ, we are forgiven. And we are equipped with your spirit that we might live a life marked by generosity. Please be with us this week. Amen.